This is Rugga Matrix America. Yes, it is. Thanks for that introduction, Bruce McLean. Bruce back for episode 32, including Alex Goff. The Super League structure, lessons again from the Tri-Nations, and a whole lot more on this show. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 32 of Rugger Matrix America. Come on in, Bruce I don't like to pass the football, McLean. Bronk, that's not true. I do like to pass the football. I don't like to waste all night doing stupid-ass uh, passing drills. Oh, uh, I knew but, I'd get you. Jeez, you're easy. How are you? Eh, I'm okay. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, eh, very good. Uh-huh. Another yeah, great very... game of Tri-Nation, so I went to at the weekend, and we'll touch on that in a couple of moments. Yeah, terrific stuff. Yeah, well, um, before we bring Alex in, I'd like to read a letter that was sent by the uh, United States Olympic Committee to USA Rugby on, I guess it was on Friday. And basically, I'll read the, the, the text of the letter. Nigel, now that the dust has settled, started to settle a bit, I wanted to reach out to you and let you know what a great job I think you and your staff did on rugby's presentation. By many accounts, it was one of, if not the best presentation amongst all the sports who presented. With this being rugby's first time through the process, I think that speaks volumes. So I wanted to reach out to you and congratulate your staff on a job well done. We are now going through the fun process of weighing all the requests against our budget and see where we land. This is obviously geared toward locking down our opportunities in London for 2012, but we'll also start to look for investment processes in those that will be there, in, in, uh, in things that will be there for us in 2016 and beyond. My strong belief is that we can't wait for 2012 to start investing in 2016. With an organization that is as solid as rugby, it only makes sense to start that investment now, especially in support of the athletes to get them playing together more consistently and specializing in the sevens format. I will update you shortly on what we may be able to do prior to taking a number of larger resource, a number to the larger resource allegation group, we sincerely look forward to continuing with, to work with you in your mission to have America fall in love with your sport. So I think that is uh, it's a pretty big statement from the United States Olympic Committee, and it's a pretty good, pretty good letter. And and it and it was a- actually good to hear that we had done something properly, and that. And I was just wondering what, what Alex thought about this. We'll bring in Alex first. We hadn't even introduced him. But I was just wondering what That's Alex okay. thought about Well, I, w- I wanted to, but you just went straight ahead. G'day, Alex. Good to speak to you again. Hey there, Jero. How you doing? Uh, thanks for, for uh, saying hello. That's fine. And, uh, and, and Bruce, I don't mind. I don't mind that you started. That's cool. Um, and, and you know what? I think that's a phenomenal letter. Who wrote it? Who signed on for it? Uh, it was somebody at the United States Olympic Committee. I don't somebody, know. Okay, so, somebody we don't know. What, one of the things that uh, um, I find very amusing about it is that we spend an awful lot of time talking about our organization, USA Rugby, as being you know kind of a mess. And you know where, where I work at Rugby Magazine, we're certainly guilty of talking about that. You know that was the whole column about the, the board and all that stuff. You know we, we we've run down USA Rugby as much as anybody else. However. 
it's interesting to see somebody look at it from the outside and say, "Hey, you know, you guys have got your act together, and and you you did a pretty good job." And say, what was the statement saying? You know, with a with a, a sport as uh, as as solid as rugby is, you know, that, that's got to make people feel pretty good that they compare fairly well with the you know the, the other governing bodies that are out there. I look at it as a massive, massive positive, and I look at it as somewhere that we can look going forward now. My pet peeve with USA Rugby isn't that they do too little. My pet peeve is that they do too much. I would rather have everything go back into the localities, into the local unions, into the clubs. Deal with your small world. You know, it's one of the, it's like the starfish thing when there's a guy walking down the beach, there's dozens and thousands of starfish all over the beach, and he's chucking them back in the water one by one. And the guy comes up to him and says, hey, what are you doing that for? You're not making a difference. I'm making a difference to that one. And he just chucks him back in. And it's the same thing with your club. <laughs> it's the same thing with each kid. It's the same thing with each player. We can't all be trying to deal with the grandiose scheme of the national team. Or I think USA Rugby's job is exclusively national teams and 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 age grade programs leading in the national teams for men and women sevens and fifteens, and that's it. You know, a little well, bit this, of support this, here and there. That's my feeling. It's always been my feeling. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way, and I, I don't disagree with you. I I think that this right here, you know, this is a, a high performance plan that they had to bring to. Uh, to the, the U.S. Olympic Committee, I think that you know they did an awful lot of smart things. Uh, one of them being, uh, I know Al Caravelli went to college with the, and I don't remember his name right off the top of my head, the head coach of uh, the USA uh, water polo team. So he calls the guy up and says, I don't know if you remember me, but now I'm coaching the USA Sevens rugby team. I, I was wondering if you could help me out with this uh, high performance plan. And and not only does he say, sure, I'll help you out, he actually sends Al the entire high performance plan. That's the sort of thing where yeah, we, we can't – the little guy is not going to do this stuff. We need the big guy to do this stuff and we need the big guy to spend an awful lot of time doing this stuff. And and you, all the trickle down that comes from making a good impression with the USOC, sure, that means that, I don't know, 10, 10 guys get to – be you know get paid to to play for the U.S. Sevens team. That's all wonderful and great, and we're all very excited. But it's more that if we don't appear to be a bunch of clowns to the USOC, and the USOC gets behind rugby in terms of not only funding but promotions, and maybe we see a rugby player on a on a promotional thing on TV, all those kinds of things, that just helps the game at the lower level where all the other people are doing all the the work that they do. Well, it's a matter of just having people to look up to and having people to to base your way of playing on. I mean, even even to this day, on on the New York Athletic Club's team, for instance, we, we have there's two sayings: we don't force, meaning don't force the pass or don't force slow ball across the field or don't make a fifty fifty. But our call for actually asking a guy not to do that is to say horn. After Timmy Horan. When we say Horan, that kind of means do something smart with the ball, recycle, I'm with you, don't worry about it, that kind of thing. And I think that 
that the way we we go from here in in, in terms of high performance and sevens and and having a relationship with the Olympic Committee is going to be is going to be really really terrific. Again, I had I had just I had just I heard about this letter sometime over the weekend, and I and I was just giving it. I was just giving it tonight, which and, and we're recording the show on Sunday night, so you know I I I was pretty impressed, and I'm I'm pretty psyched, and I don't I think that we'll probably just have to bring someone on to talk about what we're doing high performance wise, but I think that what we're saying what we're seeing here is look, we can all get down on on Melville and everything else, and and he, he's definitely given us plenty of reasons to get down on him, but I think that allowing the the relationship with the United States Olympic Committee to mature is smart. Now we were going to have Pat Kane on, who is uh, who's coach of Wake Forest. He's also a Congress member. He was he's the, the head of the uh, ACC sevens tournament, and they just got finished tonight, and he really couldn't get on because he was he was busy with that all weekend. So we will have him on, and uh, you know we could talk about these types of things because like that would be one of the reasons that I said earlier. I said in response to Ed's article that I wouldn't blow everything up because of this relationship. And it just turns out that possibly there's something there. And I don't know what, how you feel, Alex, but that's, that's kind of where I'd go. And, you know, and then I think we can move on after you're done with your comments. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I think they did a good job. I think that right there, the whole plan for USA rugby in presenting to the USOC was to have the USOC, be impressed with them and to say, okay, we think you're, you've got yourself together. We think you know what you're doing. So then we'll be able to give you the support and uh, the, the, not only the money but the other kinds of support you need that will help the game. We, we were depending on uh, Nigel Melville specifically but also uh, the, all, the, all the people in high performance at USA Rugby, the, the, the Sevens coaches, Rick Suggett and, and Al Caravelli as well. We were defending, depending on all these people to do a good job for us and, and it was on them. And by the evidence of the letter, they did a great job and that's wonderful. And that's wonderful for everybody. All right, let's look at uh, some more lessons out of the Tri-Nations. And I wanted to um, hark back to last week because one of the things I suggested... Bruce, was that um, the full 80 minutes is a cliche we use all the time. But it's absolutely clear that Australia, a team ranked number two in the world, cannot sustain an effort for 80 minutes and therefore uh, can't beat the All Blacks no matter how much they try. And in the end, two soft tries were their undoing. This is, I think, the ultimate lesson to any team. Well, I think that... Playing 80 minutes, playing whistle to whistle is critical. And, and people say, ah, you got garbage tries or you did this or you did that. And, and my, my response to those people is always that every point counts. That it doesn't matter if you scored in the first minute, the 79th minute, the 65th minute, or the 39th minute. Every time you score points, it counts equally. No, I think that's hilarious. No, no. I think that's hilarious, Bruce, because you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I get this all the time where they say, "Well, you know, the the, 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 the they only scored their points at at this point in the game." And so, well, well, they, they still count. Try still five points at that point in the game as opposed to somewhere else. So, no, I think that's true. Hilarious. But right. but uh, what what you've got to take into account is that when it's clear that this is going to be the winning point, uh, 
it's a bit like standing over a putt at the end of the tournament to win it as opposed to the very first putt. Your mindset's different. The pressure's not as great. So that's what it comes down to. We obviously know that every point counts, but it's when the big play, where you know this is going to be the final point that's going to win, that brings a whole mental approach into play. Well, Bron, great players play great. When, you know, great players are at their best when their best is needed. Great players play great at critical times. And when it comes down to it, that's what the All Blacks did. You know, the McCaw try was actually on something that was illegal and should have been called. Richie McCaw broke left early, and then Kieran Reed fed him. The Aussie defense broke down a little bit. But Richie McCall broke left before the ball was out. Should have been a penalty. Australia clears the line, wins the game. We're not having this conversation. But that's not what happened. What we did see in the game was there were a couple of uh, the Aussies scored a try off a back row move. All Blacks scored a try off a back back row move. And the Aussies had a big break. McCallman had a had a really nice break from inside his 22. That so. The, the eight running, it, it seems as though they probably forgot to defend that because it hadn't happened as much recently. And and, and I think that's been um, a soft white underbelly. And then the and then the All Blacks scored again when the go-ahead, when Kieran Reed was going in on just a one-off of, at the goal line and Curtly Beals at the pillar position, or I call it the one position. Some people call it the guard. And that was – he was never going to win that battle. So – I think that at those times, critical times of the game, you got to kind of figure out a way to put your defense or put your attack in in a position to win the game. And I think the Aussies also tried to close out the game a little too early, meaning about I think about 10 minutes to go, they were up 22 to nine, and they started just playing those like what South Africa tried to do to them in those one-off bop, one-off bop, and then just kind of not really clearing out and having the aggression and the and then expressing themselves had they has as they had earlier in the game and and it gave the All Blacks a couple of penalties and gave them chances to get themselves down into position. I was only meters away from those winning um, tries and there was a sense of inevitability that they would win the match because as Bruce uh, pointed out this is the thing you have to avoid when you play your rugby is is changing all of a sudden changing your mindset when you're in front because that definitely brought the Wallabies unstuck. They revert to this one-out running and it's not the way they got in front in the first place. So this is what we talk about in terms of changing the game when you have a lead. And we talked about the points not, not mattering where they come, but in a way it does matter if you go to that lead because I'll tell you what the talk down under is that it doesn't matter how far the Wallabies get in front, there's an expectation that they're going to fall apart in one part of the game. And you know what? The All Blacks would have had that in the back of their mind as well. We're going to have these guys at some point late in the game. And certainly their belief and the look on Richie McCaw's face was pretty clear from my point of view. Well, I, th- I think that the All Blacks have quite a bit of confidence in the way they play. And, and the fact that they were able to win the game without Dan Carter speaks volumes. The the other thing is though that those Tri Nations games have actually, while the All Blacks have run away with a couple, they've actually been pretty tight when it's fifteen on fifteen. And after those first couple times, I mean, you know, 
the uh, who's the winger from Australia who got that that BS sin yeah, bin that turned into a red card? Yeah. So when Mitchell gets a some of those bad sin bin calls really gave the All Blacks a lot of momentum early in the tournament that gave them a lot of confidence. But when this when the games have been played fifteen on fifteen, they've actually been very evenly contested matches. So I think going into the World Cup, while the All Blacks have clearly been the superior side, I think that going into the World Cup, those three teams are relatively even. They're not – the All Blacks are the better team, but they're relatively even to the point that you can't say outright in a knockout situation that one team is necessarily definitely going to beat the other. And I think that uh, – and I think that that's – I think that that's the – that's the biggest thing. And and but getting back to the eighty minutes of rugby thing, I think that it's important to play eighty minutes of rugby. Now it's also important, Alex and Bronk, the the way you have to have a strategy to close out a game. You can't just start playing, you know, wing winging the ball around for all eighty minutes. If you have a six, seven, five, nine point, four point lead, there's different ways that you play a game. To close it out, like in gridiron, they would call it a four-minute drill where you learn how to use that ball for four minutes to eat the clock. There are things that you can do in rugby to eat the clock that aren't necessarily totally play safe. You, know, you can get yourself some territory. You can, get, you, can, you can dominate little areas. You can try to create mismatches, then take advantage of those mismatches. There's things you can do that are higher percentage things than maybe you would do in the middle of the game or earlier in the game. But I think that, that going into a complete turtle shell is what hurts teams. And I think that that's what's <laughs> happening is that teams go from one extreme to the other. And, and it, the South Africans lost to the Australians because they went into a turtle shell. And, that's a great, and the that's South a Africans great lost to the New Zealanders because they went to the turtle shell. That's so awesome. anyway, that's, that, that's, that's what I would say along those lines – that, but the Tri Nations has showed me that 15 on 15, these three countries are very close. And it's also showed me that these three countries are light years ahead of everyone else. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in the Fall Internationals in November. Okay, well, let's move on. And Alex, uh, I know you wanted to talk Super League as a burning issue. Well, it's a burning issue uh, as it relates to the Division One club season, and Division One club season has started up in a, in a couple of places, and uh, you know, in the Midwest and in the in the Northeast, places like that. And one of the things I'm running into while talking to some of these clubs in D1 is that they're they're starting to get concerned about. Uh, the player pool that they have available to them. So you got a couple of teams saying, you know, we're a small market team. That's something that I haven't really heard uh, much from a from a D1 club for a while. So we're a small market team. We lost a few players. Nobody's coming to this town really to to play rugby. So it's you know we have to build from within. And ultimately, we're looking at it thinking, should we be a Division One team? Are we really a Division One team? So you look at say New England, and you and you can stratify the New England league into the really strong clubs, which are almost all in Boston, and the weaker ones, which are almost all not in Boston. And 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 you start to see that Division One itself may be splitting up to a certain extent. So I, I looked at that, and I was thinking about the fact that Super League 
love the Super League. I've enjoyed covering it. I've been a big fan of it. But the Super League is shrinking. We've seen a, we've seen a few teams drop out. We're now looking down the business end of a five-game season. I hope that doesn't happen. Five-game season is is too small. So I want to revisit the idea that that I've written about a couple of times is that we revamp the men's club season. We talk about an elite club season where we 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 push away the weaker Division One teams and say, you know, you go play Division Two. There's nothing wrong with being in Division Two, and you take your stronger Division One teams. That's really only about twenty, maybe twenty-five teams, probably twenty teams, and you put that with the existing Super League, so that you have something along the lines of thirty-two, a, a league of a national league of thirty-two clubs, because we haven't made the Super League semi-pro or pro. So we haven't got people moving to go play Super League. In fact, we have players changing uh, cities for other reasons. You look at the, the Malifa brothers who have, have gone to play for the Glendale Raptors, a D1 club. The reason they've done that partly is so they can train in the Denver Boulder area with Dave Williams and the like and, and get ready to play for the national team. So they have other reasons. They have reasons other than I want to go play for this Super League team. Which I think is very interesting. So the the idea is, Division One clubs. Some of them are in trouble. Super League shrinking a little bit. Can't we just take the better D one clubs, put them into a national competition with the Super League clubs? We can call it whatever you want. I mean, I I, I was thinking about the Bruce McLean League, but that was just an idea I had. <laughs> uh, and I was thinking, you know, it's just you know just just spitballing here, uh, and, and, and bring them together and, and revamp the entire thing into a national league. Forget about territories. Who cares about territories anyway? You know, territory lines are useless. So. Well. Because they, they can't cope. Bottom line they is can't they can't cope. cope. Well, Boston, well, Irish, Boston Irish won six games in the Super League in like the four years they were there. Four of them were against Philly and Washington. The Olympic Club was two and twenty-four, and there they won one of their games was against Aspen, and that was when Aspen had quit the following week. The uh, you know St. Louis couldn't cope. Charlotte has struggled to cope. Santa Monica won two national championships, couldn't cope. Boston Irish won two national championships, couldn't cope. These teams can't cope. It's not a matter of whether or not. They could play. Pac just won a game. A weakened Pac team that has is too weak to stay in the Super League. Just won a game, seventy six to five. It was seventy eight yep, to five. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, it was you know, seventy six to five. You know, Glendale came and played at the Athletic Club. We played with like I don't know three or four A side guys, and it was fifty five nothing at halftime. You know. Okay. And All right. Renegade, All the right. same thing. It was forty five nothing at halftime. I'm just saying. That these, and then we just put in our B side, and just to let the, just to let the score even out a little bit. But like, I'm just saying that it, these teams are not good enough. So what, I mean, what do we want to do? I don't want to go. I'm not interested in going and playing crap rugby. I'm not. You know, but I'm we, not. Okay, I don't okay but see, uh, aren't and, and, we? Aren't we playing crap rugby right now? Well, the, the, well, the, the way I look at it is this. In 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 the in the season that you wind up playing, you're gonna play two two hard games within your division, 
and your playoff games will be tough. So you'll get five good games. And I know that that's, that's not a lot, but that's what it is. But the other thing is our window of being able to play in the matrix of the Super League. It's not necessarily just being able to play rugby, but being able to play in the matrix of the Super League is from essentially St. Patty's Day through Memorial Day. And this year, it gets chopped a week because they need the players on Memorial Day because it's a World Cup year. So actually having an eight-team schedule isn't so bad. Having an eight-game season isn't so bad. I'm just... You know, we could, we could talk into a blend. And guys like, oh, we need more games. You need more games. And I said this. I said this to Pack. I said this to all the teams that didn't make the playoffs. I was like, so when you guys didn't make the playoffs, did you schedule a game the following week? No. Did you schedule one the week after that? No. Did you schedule one the week after that? No. Nobody stopped you. You didn't play because your players couldn't play. At that point, you were done. And your season was over. And, and that's just the harsh reality of it. Everybody's talking about Oh, we don't have games. I mean, I'm back. There's been about 750, 770 games played in the Super League over the course of the, of the 14 years since 97. And they've, they haven't played three of those games. It's a pretty good record. I'm back was one of them who, who they wound up not playing a game against Chicago Griffins this year. And then they were going to play it the week late and it was going to cost 25 grand. This wasn't going to happen. So, and then they come and they say, we want to play more games. How could you want to play more games? You didn't play the games you were scheduled to play. So, like, that whole argument yeah, to me Yeah, well, okay, is, okay, that, that's, that's, that, is a, that's a problem. That is a problem. And the, the idea is that what if you made the, the league more local? If the, the biggest problem is continuing to get people on airplanes. One of, one of the big issues is just costs. So if you had a 32-team league, league where most of your games were within driving distance, would that make it easier for you, those teams? You know, or, we, used to have a great, we, used to, we used to have a great league here. You talked about the New England Conference, which is great. New England screwed up USA Rugby completely. What New England did, we used to have a great competition with the New England League. It was the four top teams in Met New York – and the four top teams in New England. And we played a crossover. So actually, they had to come to New York twice. We had to go to Boston twice. And it was really good. Then they had... Then New England started to want to have everybody be D1. Everybody wanted to be part of it. Amiskeag and you know, all these teams that, that couldn't cope. So they kept demanding a bigger and bigger league, and they created this bastardization of rugby that we have now. And all these problems can be traced right back to what New, when New England wouldn't play and, and, and earn their way into a top competition that they wanted to just have, you know, everybody gets a medal, everybody gets a trophy, everybody makes the playoffs. And they absolutely ruined what was a great competition that was played in the fall. Absolutely tremendous. It was played from the week after Labor Day, right until Halloween weekend. And then there was three All-Star games in November. Then they played New York Sevens. And everybody went down to the All-Star Championships in, uh, in December. And that was our fall season. New England destroyed it. Then Marfu joined in and had a, another bastardization of their own thing. 
and everybody it, and and that's then that's what happened and that's what destroyed all that D1 rugby and I just have playing for seeding playing for seeding playing for seeding they never actually play for anything that matters you, I'm not interested you, you in any of the relatability crap I'm not interested the super league no. is run by very good people it's 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 extremely well run is the level of play great no but it's pretty damn good you know there's a lot of good teams out there and 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 I would and and okay, there are okay, some that okay, really aren't up standard, but you know what? I, we've played teams who've got who've gone into Division One Sweet Sixteen. We we beat um, Media from Pennsylvania by eighty five points with you know a, a very weak team, a very weak team. Well, okay, we, all right, Bruce, stop right there because I I spend my entire career listening to people say how their team was weak and the other team they don't say anything about. You have no idea how weak that uh, that media team was, and well, it could I, have been I, weak I, also. I know the I know everybody around, so I actually talked to the guys and I know who they had. They weren't they're not strong anyway, and I'm not saying like we didn't we knew that we couldn't go out there full metal jacket. We we knew that we couldn't do that, and I don't want to. I don't want to do this to team. I don't want to play teams like that. Like, okay, but I don't okay, want okay, them to have to play then, us either. Then, then then what about what about the fact? Okay, if if the Super League and we say are the games all is the level of play great? Sometimes it is, and it's true. Sometimes it is great. Sometimes it's not. Should should it be that the Super League should really be say eight teams? They just everybody plays everybody else. And that we well, we 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 bump out some of those and, and make them go into D one, and and because because there's no competitive. You know, my my feeling is that you bring more in and and you naturally in a sort of a Darwinian way, will your way to the best teams, and, and but you also give the idea that you there there are two things that are that are problematic for me. One is Division one teams that play. 15, 20 games through a season, most of which, as you say, don't mean anything because they end up being just for seeding. And there's no game that's like you win, win or go home. And they're just piling games on these guys all this time. And at the same time, at the highest level, we've got teams that are playing maybe six games. If you go into the playoffs, you play more. And then on the, the other side, we also have the idea where we're piling on uh, airfare, and cost travel costs on players and clubs, which is still a major problem. So if you made a bigger group of the better clubs and and reduce the travel because more of them could be playing locally, you play your your your, your driving distance teams more often. Obviously, if you're in Colorado, sorry, too bad, you're going to have to get on a plane. Maybe we could create something that would be a national uh, competition where we we would yeah we'd have a few eighty to nothings we certainly would have a few eighty to nothings and I guess some teams would just say that's it I'm I'm out but somebody could control it somebody could say you're not just just like the Super League used to do we say you you know you think you're good because you're a Division two team and you had a really good year last year well you're not good enough right now because you don't have the depth and you don't have the staying power and that's the problem we're having right now is people say hey we're good. Let us in because we want to go win a national championship, spend all our money, and then then we don't have anything to show for it. So I, you could go either you could go two different directions. You either make the super league smaller, or you make it bigger. Well, 
the ideal size for the Super League is either 14 or 18 teams. Uh, 14 or 16 teams. Um, unless there was better competition. Uh, you, there, is, there is something to be said for an eight-team league. The problem with the eight-team league is that all eight of those teams would be very good teams. And, and it's difficult to travel. It's difficult to, that, to travel across the country when you're one and four. And you have to go. And you're really not playing for anything. You don't have any interest in being on the national team. You know, that tweaked Tammy becomes a full-blown tear. That, uh, you know, that slightly sprained ankle becomes a break. And, well, you, you, and, you, just, you just ran down a bunch of other clubs uh, for, for behaving that way. You're now saying – I'm not saying – no, I'm not, I no, no, no. I didn't say – I didn't run them down for behaving that way. Those guys – everybody who came to play and goes to play these different Super League teams goes to play them. And this times they beat them as well. So I'm not saying that any I'm, – I'm not saying anything down or against any clubs. And I'm not saying – I'm saying that. You do need teams that you feel – you need to feel like you can get into the playoffs. You f- need to feel like you can do something. So a 12 to 14 team – I mean 12 to 16 team league works. And I'm not saying that it can't be 18. I'm not saying that it can't be 20 or 24. I'm saying that right now we don't have the resources of players in America. This is the way I look at it. Say there's 12 teams in the Super League right now. Say on each of those 12 teams is a 40-man roster. Of that 40-man roster, there's 25 guys who are good players. You know, and, and so now you have 300 players in America uh, of, in men's club rugby who are in the Super League who are good players. Say on each of those 12 teams, five of those good players are foreigners. Say so you have 20 times 12. Now you're down to 240. Of those 240... About 200 of those guys have jobs, and they have no interest in playing for the national team. They have no interest. They have no nothing. They just love playing rugby for their club. There's 200 of them. Then there's 40 guys who want to be Eagles. Of those 40, 20 are probably willing to put in the work to become Eagles. Of those 20... 10 have the physical characteristics. So essentially we're doing all this for 10 guys. Well, I, I, I don't know if we're doing it for them. They want to play against each other. That's it. That's right. They don't want to be bothered that's, that's, by USA Rugby. They don't want to have all these stupid eligibility things thrown on. They don't want to have to. We deal with ourselves. We deal with ourselves professionally. I don't want to have somebody tell me that I got to get on a plane, then take a car ride three hours because this team decided to join the league. No. Tell them to get a field in a city. You know, I you know, we can't fly around and go to these and jackass into these places. These guys have jobs. You know, no, I, I, like I, I agree with I agree with that. I think that I think I, I think that's a legitimate way to look at it. You know, but the no, I think that's a legitimate thing to, to say that, you know, you you whatever uh, competition you create, you create it in in part based on how do people travel around and how do people get to these teams. But even your statement, I, I love that statement about the the you know the number of clubs. You say you know the number of players, three hundred or two hundred fifty or two hundred good players in the country, and that's not even cl- including college players. We're just talking about two hundred good club players. Really, do we have that many? And I, re- I I realize that I'm saying we should have a league of thirty two 
teams, which means that I'm taking that and expanding it and saying we should have a national league with, uh, you know, what, what are we talking about? Almost a thousand players that are quote unquote good players. We don't have that many. We have like a hundred. And so the point is, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to make it easier. I'm trying to make it easier for people to play games that are challenging and say, hey, you know, the, this is, this is, there's a level that, that I play. I'm trying to make it easier by, by, and I think the easier way is to expand it to make it easier to play the team that's down the street. So that PAC and Maryland Exiles and, and Nova, for example, will be playing each other in something that means something rather than, know what's been going on the last few years i understand what you're saying but who has the super league not led into the league you know what I'm, that that's what i mean like who has well the you know super i league i said no i'll tell you i'll tell you who they haven't led to the league and they were right to do it they were right they didn't let san mateo in when san mateo was great and they did exactly the right thing because san mateo weren't gonna no no, <laughs> no 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 they 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 didn't it wasn't that they didn't let san mateo win san mateo didn't want to join a lot of times teams don't want to join because they know what they are. San Mateo understood that they didn't have the financial resources to compete, and that's fine. And there are teams like that. I'm just saying that the Super League has been relatively good about letting teams who've had success in Division One into the league. And that's it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that – look, I'm not going to sit here and say that this is perfect. What I am going to sit here and say is that – we go, we play our games, we finish the season, we do what we're supposed to do. We have a very limited window. Like everybody says, you don't play enough games. We can only play from March 17th to May 21st. We've got two months to play. That's it. Well, you see, so what, if, if you merge Super League Division and Division 1, you can play for six months. Nobody wants to play the fall season, take three months off and play a spring season. Nobody wants to do it. That's why the college Premier League decided well, to go to one season. People want to play a build-up for one season and play. Now, what you could do along the lines of what you're thinking is to say, okay, do what Canada did. And say, everybody who wants to play rugby, go to the West Coast, play in California. That's it. There's going to be six or seven clubs. Either play on one of them or you ain't getting on a national team. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. It'd be cost-effective. The weather would be good, the competition would be good, and it would be palatable. What you wouldn't get is the guys who are very good players, like the Troy Bartleys and, and, and players like that, who wouldn't move to go and be in that league, but are clearly the best players in America. Right. So, you know, that, the, and, and, but that's okay. That's, a, that's also okay. That's also okay. If they wanted to have a league where, say, it, you know, it's a young man's game and go and you're going to play, you're going to stay on these clubs, you're going to play for these clubs, and, and that, that's okay. It's a very daunting task to have a national league. I would love to have a local competition like we used to have in the, in, in, in the, um, in the 90s where – there were four teams in New York and four teams in Boston. Those teams were excellent teams, and it was a lot of fun to play in that. And when it really started getting ruined is when people wanted to get in for nothing. People didn't want to earn their way in, 
And that's what happens in the Super League. People think, like, oh, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to do it for a year or two. No, 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 bro. You're our partner. We're allowing you into our business as a partner. Not that we make any money, obviously. And we, and we don't even try to make money. Um, but you're our that's partner. The show. Well, well I, uh, I can go through that. I actually had a good conversation with Hodges about that. But I, I'll go through that in another show about why we don't make money. Yeah. And, and there's a reason for it. And You mentioned the, the College Premier League, and you mentioned uh, people not – you know it's real hard to, to travel when you're one and four and you have to spend $600, go fly somewhere to lose. And I think that that is – that's my trepidation about the College Premier League. Uh, I'm very happy that it's, it's going on. I think, I think it could be great. But you look at a very good team that is, I don't know, 0-5. And has you know, their 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 two starting props are injured, and they've got to get on a plane to go play BYU. And do they even do it? Is the question. Uh, and it's a real concern. And and I think it's a concern no matter what league you have in this country, as long as they're amateur. As long as there's no, and and for college, money would have to be involved in terms of the 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 universities or something like that. You know, pe- people don't not show up for college football games because there's huge amounts of money involved. And when we talk about professionalizing the game in the United States and people sort of grumble and say, you know, I, I played my entire career and I didn't get paid for it. That was, It's not about necessarily paying somebody to play a game that most of us, you know, would give anything to be able to be young enough to play it well again. It's about the fact that it's amateur and there's nothing, there's no... There's no incentive if you're 0-6 and, and you've got to fly somewhere and you know you're going to lose by 75 points and you know you're probably going to get stomped on and your wife is looking at you a little funny because you're going to be gone again for no real good reason or you're going to take another day off work because of this or something like that or you're going to show up for a presentation on Monday looking like somebody stomped all over your face because somebody stomped all over your face. All these things, it's a wonderful world to play rugby that way but at the same time, because it's not your job, you don't have to go. And there are going to be situations, no matter whether Super League is four teams big or 45 teams big, we're going to be situations where somebody just says, hey, man, I'm just not going. And that's because it's an amateur sport. Well, you know what? And that's the guy. The amateur professionalism is not, is not necessarily being paid, which you can see from Olympic athletes all over the place. They work out very hard in lonely situations and, and they act professional while they may, may in many cases be quasi-amateurs. They you know, have a little bit of sponsorship here or there. And that's similar to rugby players. <clears throat> My feeling is on those guys who don't go, they're not true competitors. Like If you don't have the nuts to get out there and go – and play your your guts out, and try your best, then you're not a true competitor. And what you will find is that the people who don't go, or the people who back off, all that can tell you is, from a coaching standpoint, I can never win with that guy. We'll never ever win a big game with him, ever. Absolutely. So my first, re- my first thing I got to do is replace him. Because we ain't winning with him. He couldn't take a tr- 
And believe me, bro, I have been on the ass end of some serious beatings <laughs> with, as a player and as a coach, on the ass end of some serious beatings. And, and, uh, and you know who your friends are. It's just like when you're practicing in, you know, for Australians, negative five, negative eight degrees. For Americans, 20 degrees. You know, you're practicing out there in 20 degree weather and it's howling wind. You know who your friends are. The guys who showed up that night are your friends. The guys who showed up that night are the guys who you can, you can actually count on late in the season. And that's the way I look at it. And, and, and you know, we could sit and say, oh, they're not going to go. Well, you know what? If they're not going to go, when they're, and, I'm not, and I, I understand the problem, but if they're not going to go when they're 1-4 or 0-5 or whatever, they don't belong. And those coaches better replace those kids. And just yep. as a Super League, if you want to win any games, you better replace those guys. All right. Nice debate. I am still here, but I've been able to look at a lot of websites on my iPad in the meantime. Can we uh, do a quick shout-out? Alex, uh, I noticed with quite interest on Rugger Matrix International and Rugger Matrix America and even clubrugby.com.au, the vast number of people who listen come from Texas. So I'd just like to give a massive Rugger Matrix shout-out to everyone in Texas who uh, subscribes to the show. Thank you for your support. And I didn't realise that it was such a rugby stronghold, for intellect anyway. <laughs> well, Texas is awesome. And uh, the, the big tournament coming up is the Cowtown Festival uh, out down there, which is uh, really fun in Fort, Lu- Fort Worth. So uh, if, you, if you're not going to doing anything, you should go down to the Cowtown Festival in uh, October. Well, I think Rugger Matrix, like uh, the Rugger Matrix team, after we, we go to Vegas, should end up in Texas. Well, I think I think that Texas is actually really good. They've they've got a a, a a strong developing high school rugby program down there. They they hosted an international in Houston um, just for the 2003 World Cup against South Africa. And I think they had eleven or twelve thousand people there on a first off international, so they did a, a very good job hosting that. I think it was played in, in either late November or December. So the the Texas rugby community, Dallas Rugby Club, um, Keith Engelbrecht had had run the Super League for about ten years, and Mike Engelbrecht is coaching now, and he coaches the USA under twenties. So there's a lot of a lot of good rugby happens in the Texas area. And Texas is it's a it's a big place. Texas is two hundred fifty thousand square miles or something. Mm. Uh, you know, in, in relation, New York, the state of New York is forty nine thousand square miles. So it's five times as big. And it's uh I think it's the third most populous state, the second most populous state outside of California. I think it's more pop- populated than New York now. So Texas is a big place. So it's very important. To have Texas being a stronghold of rugby, I want to go into one, <clears throat> a couple brief things on what Alex said about clubs and building clubs and all that and that kind of thing. Make it brief, Bruce. I think that the key is to develop a high school team and align it with your club, an elite high school team, a strong one, where you're sending kids to the college premier league, so that when they go to school, they come back with three friends that play for your club. And I think that's the key, is to, is to coach at the youth and college level 
and bring that back and have a feeder system into your club. And that, I think, is the way to go. And then at that point, if everybody's doing that, then we'll have a lot more better players out there, and I think that we could expand the Super League. I'd like to expand the Super League. You know, the fact of the matter is we're just 12 teams. I mean, you know, we're on the verge of going, you know, we could go to 10 quick. You know, I mean, probably faster to go to 10 than what would be to 16. You know, Bruce, um, the alignment between the American domestic competition and the Australian domestic competition is incredibly close. Uh, The similarities are amazing. I think, Alex, uh, I might even pen a quick article for you if you if you wanted to run it on rugbymag.com uh, just about the parallels I see and, and the lessons that can be learned and the interesting thing you talked about paying players it became a bit of an issue when um, monies that clubs receive uh, decided to pay the odd player here and there and it really had a detrimental effect on the clubs and uh, who decided that well this guy's worth 20 grand a year maybe 40 grand a year that's Australian dollars and I can tell you, Bruce, now the Australian dollar's worth 0.93 American, so it's catching up very quickly. The greenback isn't what it used to be. So um, that's a lot of money to pay someone to play in a, an essentially an amateur competition. So there are a lot of issues that I think are so similar, and I think we can flesh that out uh, in an article and, and also in future shows. I'm yeah, looking forward well, to it. Actually, I love it. That's something we should flesh out in a future show because... I've spoken to people about, you know, a lot of teams who who have who, whose clubs are struggling financially, and they ask me about that, and and that exact thing comes up not only with players but with coaches. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of waste and frivolity going on around that. So I would definitely love to speak about that in a future show. Um, Absolutely, Bronk, the greenback is due to our excessive government spending. <laughs> Please. And paying for it through inflation. Oh, here we go. You know, please, inflation, no. is, a, inflation is every all, always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon yeah. caused by the Federal Reserve. R- Rugger Matrix Politico is the new show, and we'll be launching that next week. You'll be on that one, Bruce, for sure. All right. Uh, um, thanks uh, very much for your time, Alex, uh, and uh, we look forward to chatting to you again next week. And as Excellent. we always say, Bruce McLean. Don't forget to put it in your diary, the USA 7s in Vegas. Yeah, you got to be there, Bronk. I was just out at, at uh, New York Athletic Club this weekend, saw the Wakefords, Garth and Jennifer from Montauk Rugby Club, saw a lot of people out there, Matty Rader from New York AC and Old Blue, who are they're very excited about going to the USA 7s. The USA 7s is a tremendous event, and it really is a lot of fun. And even if you don't like 7s, you're going to like Vegas. And <laughs> the fact of the matter is, what matters more, 7s or Vegas? All right, so Alex, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, and, Thank you. And, uh, of course, Alex, editor-in-chief of RugbyMag.com. And uh, don't forget, that's where you get all your U.S. rugby news. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Jero. Thank you, Bruce. And, uh, yeah, I'll certainly see you in Vegas. All right. And Bruce McLean, thanks very much. uh, And uh, good luck. I think you're back in training, aren't you? Well, not you personally. Yeah. yeah. If I was in training, 
I may be I may be training to be a bowling ball, but you know they can roll me down the aisle. And uh, but no, yeah, we, yeah, we're back in training. We're gonna do some things. But I will say straight out, go to Vegas. And and the other thing is, if you have any guest requests or you want somebody to be on a guest, you know, they want a, a guest, try to you know email or pop a pop a thing in, into the show blog and just say, hey, I wanna I want a guest or discuss this or take a look at this or you're an idiot and you know and have this guy on or discuss these kind of things and, and we could generally if there's anybody you want to listen to basically in the world of rugby essentially we can get them all right at, you can find us on uh, rugger matrix america on facebook on twitter rugger matrix and uh, if you want to uh, send a request through it's admin at rugger i know alex uh, you're doing a few things with the site so we're looking we'll be looking at a new face very soon i, I believe yes that's correct. All right, so just hang in Keep there. Fingers crossed. Yep, yeah. yeah, just hang in there, everyone, and that'll happen. Um, if you're listening to the international show this week, make sure you tune in because we have an exclusive interview with Andy Robinson, the coach of Scotland, and they've had a famous couple of wins there in recent times, swept Argentina in Argentina. And let me tell you, having been there with the Wallabies, it is not an easy thing to do. And, of course, they beat the Wallabies at Murrayfield for the first time in almost 30 years in the Autumn Series last year. So that is something uh, to look forward to. Andy Robinson, formerly of England as well, of course, and he's our special guest on Rugger Matrix International. So Scotland its going to be one of those teams to look out for in the World Cup because they are certainly pragmatic in the way they play. And as we all know, Bruce, pragmatism is what coaches live by. Yeah, you have to do what you, you know, you have to, you have to play within yourself in order to win. Andy Robinson knows how to do that. And I would, I would suggest all coaches and, and players and, and aspiring people to listen to out of the back issues of Rugger Matrix. Rugger Matrix International is a tremendous show and you get some really, really tremendous and, 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 and outstanding coaching insights from the leading coaches in the world. I mean, Les, Les talks about changing your defense last week, Andy Robinson this week. So I think it's going to be, as you go back, you can listen and, and pop yourself through different episodes and, and hear a lot of things and get a lot of insight about the game of rugby from the, the leading people in the world of rugby. Thanks for that, Bruce. All right, that is uh, Rugger Matrix America, episode 32. We'll speak to you next week.